Hello, and welcome to this podcast installment of Theology on Tap. Theology on Tap is a monthly gathering where young adults in the St. Louis area socialize and learn about topics relevant to Catholic young adults. We hope you enjoy this edition of the Theology on Tap podcast. Thank you for helping us build a home for Catholic young adults in St. Louis. we're about to bring. It's in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to come together tonight um, in friendship and fellowship um, and love, if that's blossoming here. And we just ask that uh, you bless the two of us, not only as we talk tonight, but in our marriage um, and all of us, all of us here in our future vocations, whatever we're called to do, um, that we can love like crazy, whether it's our spouse, whether it's the church, whether it's others, um, fill us with your Holy Spirit, guide us always, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. So welcome everybody, oh, I have to turn right, it's like a whole 180 degree thing here, alright, um, so thank you all for coming, um, we know that most of you probably have better options tonight than coming to hear us talk, so we really appreciate it from the bottom of our heart. Um, any other um, happily married couples out here tonight? Yeah, and a baby. Good work. Oh, beautiful. Good job, happily married. Any just married couples? Honesty, I appreciate that. Uh, any single people here tonight? Any happily single people here <laughs> I see you, Joe. I guess. Shout out to the future clergy. Um, <laughs> we think it's appropriate that we're talking here tonight. Twelve years ago on this night, we had our first date. Aww. Because I'm stupid like that. <laughs> um, we went and had pizza and went ice skating, you know, typical St. Louis thing. We got in a car accident. It was um, memorable, to say the least, and she stuck it out. Six years later, we said our I do's. Um, that was in 2010, and then we kept the streak alive of even-yeared life events. Um, we popped out a gaggle of gingers um, in, uh, hold on, I think, oh, this is, yeah, this is when we started dating. Sorry, I forgot to show you these adorable pictures. That was the moment of triumph, folks, for Katie when she married me. <laughs> there they are. So that's uh, Gianna, Lucy, and Michael that came in 2012, 2014, and 2016. Um, so we thought, what better way to spend our Valentine's Day than with a free date, out, date night out with you beautiful people. And our hope for tonight, um, as we kind of get together and know that this, this night is typically centered around romance and maybe steak dinners, um, fancy dates and roses. 
we really know the truth of the matter, that this holiday, which is marked by Hallmark, I always believe that it is not their job at Hallmark to tell me when I get to have sex. No, I believe that it is up to the chart to decide when I get to have sex. <laughs> we'll get to sex a little bit later, though, so that should be fun. Preach, sister. Our hope for tonight is that you laugh. Um, at us, mostly, with us, partially. So we appreciate that, that you've already done a great job so far. Um, but we really would just want to peel back the curtain on the last 12 years of our life and what we've learned along the way. Um, we've learned a lot, especially over the last six and a half years since we've been married. Um, and the fact is, and the reason we titled tonight, the reason we titled it, is we are still amateurs at this. Some of you have probably been married longer than us and probably know more than us. Um, so we're humbled that we even have the opportunity to talk tonight. Um, we promise only three things. One, that we're going to attempt to avoid heresy at all costs. Um, two, that we'll try to make you laugh. And three, that we won't pretend to have all the answers, um, especially when it comes to marriage. And our hope for tonight is you'll join in the fun. So we figured what could be more fun than karaoke with a group of really good-looking people. So tonight we have decided that each topic we have, we've teamed up to match with a nice batch of song lyrics. Oh, and Joe Detweiler goes nowhere without karaoke. Join us because let's be honest, we all really know good songs, right, Nick Lee? Yes. <laughs> Our first song is a throwback to the 90s. Many of you will find, or maybe early 2000s. <laughs> you should all finally remember this one. It's mid June, it's 100 degrees outside, and it will be for the next few days. You come home from work and you're looking forward to an enjoyable dinner with your spouse and your kids, just like every other day. Except it isn't like every other day. It isn't because last night you had a family dinner on a blanket in the basement, the only place in the house that wasn't 90 degrees because your air conditioner has been broken for the last two days. Quick check of the upstairs with your exergen temporal, temporal thermometer thing. They work for testing air temperature and baby's A Quick check of the upstairs confirms that it is in fact as hot inside as it is outside. And that's when the fight starts. We laugh about this now as the most ludicrous fight we've had in our six years of marriage. Katie was overwhelmed with the prospect of getting our three little kids and the two of us out the door somewhere, packing up all their stuff for God knows how long, the next several days, going to someone's house we didn't know who at the time, and that was just too much to deal with in that moment. I, at the same time, am chubby. I don't like the heat. <laughs> I had already slept in a hot house for two nights, and I was about to lose it. And I decided, no, we're leaving. So I just grabbed a laundry basket and started throwing stuff in there. <laughs> I got the garage door open, and then we started having this conversation about, should we stay, should we go? And I'm like, no, we need to go, we need to go. She's like, well, maybe just one more night, it'll be fixed tomorrow. Maybe we'll just stay. And around and around and around and around, and like 10 minutes later, I was arguing that we should stay. And 
and she was saying, no, 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 let's go. No, I promise. No, we, we should go. You're right. We should go. In full disclosure, we knew this would be a challenge for us. We failed the communication section of our focus assessment. <laughs> so any of you currently in marriage prep right now, heed the warning. Um, here's the reality. Here's the dynamic of our relationship. Katie, if you're into the temperaments thing, Katie is a choleric external processor. I'm a phlegmatic internal processor. You can imagine how conversations go at our house when we have to disagree about something. Katie comes from a family that is actually pretty good at fighting. They do it. They do it well. They get it over with. They're done. I come from a family that's just like, no, no, let's just not talk about that. <laughs> and looking back, I actually look back to that moment in the focus test, and I'm like, I had a really stupidly naive vision of what communication in a marriage looked like. That I actually thought that it was possible for two well-educated adults to have calm, logical disagreements on any particular topic as long as we both you know, calmly stated our case. And then we would reach agreement at some point, and then it would be over. That's, you know how stupid that is if you've ever had a roommate or a sibling you shared a room with, um, or for those of you that are married. The reality is that fights happen. They happen in every marriage, even the best marriages. We want things our way, like the Backstreet Boys. We disagree. Another example, when we were pregnant with our second, we were kind of, we were negotiating over what name to give our, our soon-to-be daughter. I wanted to go full-on Catholic nerd and name her Avila. Case, Katie preferred Lucy. For several months, we went back and forth. Oh, wouldn't Lucy, isn't Lucy great? Like, why would you name her Avila? It's just going to be the only kid with that name. Why, why, what? But what about Lucy? Right? So we finally just dropped it for a couple of months. And I thought, eh, when do I bring it up again? We need to have this conversation sooner rather than later. And then I came home one day, and I looked in the nursery, and there was a new blanket hanging on the rocker with a beautiful monogram that just said Lucy Avila on it. And I thought, okay, it's been decided. <laughs> I hadn't seen this blanket before that moment. It looked good. It was spelled properly. So, all right, fine. I tell you that because despite my love for her, even in that moment, um, there are some things that we may never, dis we may never agree on. Um, and this is where I learned that in marriage, the gift of wisdom is essential. It keeps us oriented in our love for each other and compels us towards charity in those moments that I'm more inclined towards selfishness and closed-mindedness. I actually just saw something on the internet last week or the week before as we were preparing for this talk, and I thought it was so perfect because... And it's totally secular, but it totally nailed it, I think. Um, there was this blogger who was about to get married. And so he asked his subscribers, followers, whatever, I need some marriage advice. And for you couples that have been married 20-plus years, what's, what's worked? What's been the one thing that's worked? And he said, for those of you that it hasn't worked out for, that have gone through a divorce, what didn't work? And he got like 1,500 responses. And as he was combing through these, after several hundred, he realized a trend that the people that had been through divorce
famously, communication, just we couldn't, couldn't communicate. That was what was broken. We just couldn't fix it. And then he noticed an interesting trend of the people that had had successful marriages that had been married 20 plus years, and they all said, communication is overrated. That it's not about communication because everyone is going to disagree at some point. If you're with someone for that long a time, you're going to disagree. What they said was, you have to have a baseline level of love and respect for that person so that when those situations arise, you know how to deal with them properly. And I think sometimes that's really only possible with divine intervention. I think that's a, a product of the sacramental grace that comes from it, um, that God continually pours into our marriage um, when I'm compelled to think that she's crazy. Not that she ever is. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> but it's easy to focus on the point of the disagreement. It's easy to focus on the thing we're fighting about and just look right past her, the person that I'm disagreeing with. And all you have to do is open up your Facebook or Twitter and see examples of this every day that we just are really good at focusing on what is wrong and not the person that we're disagreeing with. And this is really where that flowering, beautiful, rated at every wedding language of 1 Corinthians becomes kind of a gut check. Am I being patient? Am I being kind? Am I being inflated? Am I being rude? Am I being quick-tempered? If not, I've lost the fight before it ever really began, and I'm not being the type of husband that I want to be, and I'm not being the type of father that I want to be in that example for my kids. So to sum it up, I've learned that connection is more important than communication. We'll always be bad at communicating. I don't know that that's ever something that we're going to improve upon. But as long as we're connected, then we can surmount those communication issues um, in the midst of any misunderstanding. And that's where we will be successful in our marriage and where we have been in those moments where that love is un is able to be unshaken by any of those issues. So DJ, you ready with number two? I always wanted to be a diva. Carly Simon, anyone? Oh, you guys, it's funny. When you decide to write a talk on marriage and self-awareness, um, the devil comes after you with your weaknesses right at the surface. Had you been with us over the past three weeks, you would have been surrounded by a lot of frustration and a lot of tension and a lot of self-awareness as to what you are weak at. And so through perseverance and prayer and a lot of stops in that, in that chapel at St. Catherine's, I came to a lot of decisions about that idea of being vain. Whether you're in a marriage or you're in a dating relationship or you're just with your friends, sometimes human nature gets the best or I guess the worst of us and makes us wanna play the martyr. I don't know if you've ever been at a place, but sometimes it's really tempting to think, what did I do? How hard did I work? What did I sacrifice? How busy is my life? How much sleep did I give up for the newborn baby for the 17th year we've had children, it feels like? How much do I do, and how come no one is there giving me a high five when I get up every day 
and, and live this life. Sometimes we compare ourselves to what other people do because they're a lot more recognized. Maybe that's in our jobs or maybe that's in our marriages. And whether or not you're the most selfless person in the world, which oftentimes I seem to think I'm married to, that, that part of bitterness and resentment can creep itself in because even if you don't think about it, sometimes the devil wants you to think, well, you worked so much harder and they didn't work or do nearly enough. And that's when it gets ugly. I want Jason to tell you another very quick story about our sleepless child. This is about our lovely Lucy Avila. Um, she didn't sleep, I don't think at all, for the first two years of her life. Um, <laughs> maybe 10 minutes now, at some point, like around one. But there was one night where, um, right before our third was born, so she was uber pregnant, was not a fan of being awake. Um, I came home from a hockey game, from one of my hockey games, and it was like 11.30 at night. She had already been up for 45 minutes with her. And I thought, all right, well, it's 11.45. You don't, you don't need to get out of bed. I'm wide awake. The car's warm, so let me take her. We'll go for a little drive. So we live right at Gravelway 270 in the kind of Sunset Hills area. So I thought, okay, well, and we just moved. Let's just drive down Gravelway. Let's go to our old house in Afton. Quick 10-minute trip there and back. Still awake. Okay, well, let's, let's just go down into the city. We'll hit 55. We'll circle back. We'll get home. We get off at Lindbergh. Man, kid, you're still awake. She threw her baby doll at me just to prove a point. <laughs> Tucked her back in. I'm like, all right, back on 270, we go. We hit 44. I peek back there. Still awake. All the way up to 40. She's still awake. All right, let's head downtown. I got on 40. We drove all the way downtown, got off at Hampton. I'm like, come on. Still awake. Took Hampton down to 44, 44 all the way home, pulled in the driveway. She's asleep. But it was 2.15 in the morning. <laughs> so I got her out, put her in bed, crawled into bed. I said, babe, I did it. I did it. She's asleep. And we tell that story with a lot of humor, but I looked at him on Wednesday and I said, do you ever tell that story with a little bit of pride? Like you're really proud of yourself? And he said, yes. He said, because whether or not we realize it, the human temptation seeks attention or recognition or pity. And sometimes we make it about ourselves when it is not about us at all. And that was where the moments in our marriage, things got ugly because we wanted it to be about us. We wanted someone to cheer for us. Someone to high-five you, Katie Gray, you are awesome, girl. You go every day. And that's not what it looked like. There's an appreciation and a support that came in marriage, but it didn't mean that sacrifice needed to be recognized every single day. You think about it, too, guys. When we live the Christian life, are there people that give you a high-five every day for being a Christian? It doesn't work like that. You know, and I'd high-five all 200 of you right now if I could, but... Every day when you make little sacrifices to choose Jesus over everything else the world says, you don't always get the cheering crowd because the, the celebration isn't here. The celebration is supposed to be in heaven because that's where we celebrate who we did it for, and it's not for us at that time. There were times in our marriage where, believe it or not, while our faith has been a huge part of how we met and then how we've lived our life and survived the last seven years, we came to moments where sometimes selfishly, we wanted something more than letting the other person have their, their faith life encouraged. 
If one of us said, I want to go to daily mass, or I want to go to confession, or I'm going to stop in the adoration chapel after Target, sometimes the other person got really annoyed by that. Like, wait, what, you're going to do what? Hold on. We need you to do this. So this is more important. And we've come to the conclusion that whether or not there's 8 million things to do at our house or life or whatever is going on, that actually there's nothing more important in our life than to make that person have their faith a priority. And we've discovered, too, that there are moments where it's going to mean putting three kids to bed by yourself, but if that means that that person gets to go to the Adoration Chapel, there's nothing more important. We remember so little about our wedding day because it's such a crazy day, but I'll never forget a few things. We were married at St. Catherine Labore in South County, and um, the priest that said our wedding was my pastor, whom I worked for at the time, and still a good friend of ours, and I'll never forget, we got to the altar, and he looked at us in the eyes, and he said, I want you to feel the power of the people praying for you here and the power of the people praying for you who are not here. And I don't want you to forget your flowers when you leave today, Kate. And I said, okay. But then he started his homily, and the thing about his homily that really struck us was he focused on the idea of laying down your life, which I know is not some crazy thing for weddings. That's what they talk about. But I had walked down the aisle with my dad to that Chris Tomlin song, Take My Life. And I'll never forget Father Jim looked at the band and said, take my life, like they sang. And he looked at us and he said, take my life. And he looked up at the crucifix and he said, take my life. And it's the reminder that there's nothing more important than to lay it down for us to get to heaven. Real quick story. Um, about three years ago, my dad passed away very suddenly, and we were sitting in the hospital room, and I'll never forget the moment where, you know, we're praying and we're crying and we're holding hands, and mom is rattling off Hail Marys like it is her job. I have never heard that woman say him so fast and so much, and at one point I go, Mom, shh, it's okay, and she said, I want him to get to heaven. And I thought, guys, if there's nothing else I do right, nothing, but I get him to heaven, and that's what this was about. And so in the moments where I'm super vain and I'm super selfish, because the human nature is going to come out in all of us because we're sinful and we need the Lord every day, it's the reminder that that's what it's about. It has nothing to do with who, who picks up spilled milk for the 18th time while we tried to have dinner tonight with two-year-olds. It's about where do we say, I lay my life down because it's more important for you to get to heaven than anything else. And now to make you all a little uncomfortable. I don't think they'll sing this one. So, so the night before our wedding, uh, we, the two of us were out running some errands and doing some last-minute stuff and having a romantic pre-marriage dinner at Bread Company. And my phone rang which no one ever calls me because I don't have friends. Um, and it was my aunt. Now, this is the aunt who sat me down as a 16-year-old when she lived in Colorado, and obviously I lived in St. Louis. But she sat me down when I was out there to visit, and she said, Jason, if I ever find out you've been drinking or smoking or doing drugs, I'm driving to St. Louis and kicking your ass. So she's the charming aunt. Um, I assumed, why is Peggy calling me? Why is she calling me? And then I thought, okay, she probably just needs something logistical about 
tomorrow, whatever is going to happen. So I answered. Um, then I nearly fell out of my chair when the first words out of her mouth were, Jason, I want to talk about sex. <laughs> what followed was one of the most uncomfortable conversations I have ever had in my adult life. If I'm being honest, though, um, I, as awkward as it was, I'm actually very thankful for her words of wisdom. She said, don't make it all about yourself. That was the main point. And now I, I think her point had more to do with the act itself um, than anything like deep or theological. Um, but still, that notion seemed fairly obvious to me. Um, even as a couple that you know waited until we were married, we kind of thought, okay, now we got this whole self-denial thing down already. Thanks. Thanks, Peg. Appreciate it. Um, <laughs> But fast forward six and a half years, and it's amazing how much of a challenge that notion still is. Because the world says that sex is about getting as much as you can, as often as you can, whenever you can get it. And this, this isn't, shouldn't be new to any of you. You just turn on TV, you get that. And I think most of us level-headed Catholic types are pretty good at dismissing that whole worldview when it comes to sex outside of but it's actually somewhat easy to start believing that notion once you are married. Because sex is good, right? It's good. It's holy. Theology of the body, right? I mean, this is something that's right in our Catholic wheelhouse. We should be doing this. We should be having lots of good, holy sex. We, yes, it is good. It is so good. It is so, so good. <laughs> All right, I'm back. Sorry. <laughs> but the simple fact is that sex is not a what I want when I want it thing. Sorry to spoil it, single guys. Talk to Patrick Russell or Joe Detweiler if the seminary seems a lot more appealing after I just said that. <laughs> Everything else in our Catholic faith, the greatest blessings are born from a cross. If I were to count the number of times I've been compelled to set our NFP chart literally on fire in our room, I'd have to take off my shoes because I don't have that many fingers. But what's common among all those moments is my selfishness. Rather than a heart that's open to embracing the truth in marriage that our sexuality is a gift, but it requires a sacrifice. That our wedding day was not the end of a long road of self-denial leading up to marriage, but it was actually the beginning of that journey. That when Katie and I are intimate, we get the opportunity to express that love in such a powerful and fiery way that short after, we are blessed with fiery red-headed children. <laughs> that fiery. And they magnify the good that our intimacy provides within our marriage. The second thing I want to share is that I know that I've fallen into the trap of putting sex on a pedestal. Not that it's not deserving of reverence and, and respect, um, 
But I, to me, to say that sex can sometimes be viewed as the duct tape of marriage. You know what I mean by that? Like, you got drafty windows at home, duct tape. Yeah. Tail light falling off, duct tape. A lot of emotional angst at home, have some sex. It's not like that. The simple fact is that sex can't fix everything about a married relationship. It can actually do the opposite if our selfish desires are overshadowing that other person's needs or insecurities. And sex is good, but it's also not the best thing ever. A few years ago, I was having a conversation with a group of guys, um, one of whom had just gotten married. I had just gotten married. Um, and one of the guys was a seminary. And we were kind of talking about, not talking shop, about married sex. But we were, you know, we were talking about sexuality. Now the two of us had, are now married. And, like, this is a new world for us. And the seminarian joked, oh, I guess I'll never know what that's like. Just kind of off the cuff. And I quickly responded, though, and I said, yeah, but my hands are never going to turn bread into the flesh of Christ. And then we kind of all paused at that. Because our world treats sex like it's either the crowning achievement of a person's life or that it's no big deal at all. It's like one of those two ends of the spectrum. And when in reality, I need to constantly remind myself that it's good, but it's also not the entirety of our marriage. And that I'm still called to love my wife even in those moments when we can't or when we choose not to. And that's that idea of sacrificial love that has to come out of our married relationship in the physical and in the emotional and in all these different ways. Um, that even though it is good, like I said, that some of those greatest blessings are tied with a cross. We started dating and we were smitten over each other. Sure, we had become the best of friends. We talked almost every day for four months over AIM. Anyone remember AIM? <laughs> we all remember AIM. Guys, we were consumed with excitement and butterflies. We couldn't wait to hang out with each other. We would leave notes on the other's car. We would, we would pop in to visit the other at work. We would kiss a heck of a lot all the time. We were smitten over each other. It was new and it was exciting and it was all about the fun new feelings. One night um, when I was down at SLU, Jason surprised me. He came down to visit and I, I looked as you know foxy as you can on a Tuesday night at SLU. And I was eating peanut butter out of a tub. And I'll never forget, he walked in my dorm room and he embraced me and he kissed me so hard. And it was just as lovely as you can imagine. And last week, I looked at him and I said, hey, remember that? As I was eating peanut butter out of a tub last week, I said, hey, remember that time we made out after I ate peanut butter? He was like, oh, it was disgusting, Katie. <laughs> but you go back to that, and you're so enthralled in the feelings and the fun and the excitement, and it's new. Feelings are great when you think about it. 
feelings of attraction and enjoyment are what led us to pursuing dating. Our relationship and our marriage, though, however, cannot be kept alive on feelings alone. Because at some point you'll have a fight over something you don't even remember having a fight about, and you don't even know where it took you, and you're like, wait, what feelings are going to get me back to fixing that moment? Feelings aren't like some magic pill when your marriage hits really hard, rocky times. If finances are hard, or there's an unexpected baby, or you have to move houses, or there's a job change, or a parent dies, feelings don't save the day. It's all about the commitment that that is underneath the feelings that you said the day you stood in front of Jesus and your loved ones to commit for the rest of your life. There have been moments in our marriage where, honestly, we don't even have a chance to look at each other in the morning. Sure, we'd love to wake up in beautiful sheets with no clothes on the floor and laundry baskets piled up as high as the ceiling. We'd love to be able to lay over and look at the other and say, oh, you're so lovely looking this morning. Let's just lay here and listen to the birds chirp and have this peaceful moment in bed sheets that are like sparkling white, just like in the, all the hotels. No, that's not what it looks like. There's mornings where you're rushing right out of bed to go feed a baby or to take a shower because you're probably 25 minutes late to work already, guilty as charged every day of my life, and you just don't have the moment to embrace each other in that way. Literally last Thursday, is Thursday's the day all five of us have to be out of the house at 7, 10 in the morning. It does not happen, but we try our darndest, and three times over the chaos of our kids and yelling at the four-year-old to put on a coat, he asked me what I needed from Schnooks. And I'm writing a check to daycare, and I'm pouring coffee, and I'm just making sure as I scan the room that the milk is in the fridge because, God, when you leave the milk out and you go to work, it's the worst day ever. (laughs) But there's not this lovey-dovey moment. And for no second on that Thursday morning did I doubt his love and commitment for me because we know that the feelings are fun to have around, but the love that God puts within our marriage and in our relationship is so much deeper and so much more powerful. Love isn't this feeling. Love is doing oftentimes what you necessarily don't want to do, but is good for another. And that's a lot of times mean you sacrifice sleep or you sacrifice sex or you choose kinder words when you don't want to or you don't lash out and you're frustrated or you choose to say, I'll take the sick day for the kid who has pneumonia for the 17th time this year while you go to work because someone has to. You just constantly say, love is not about being showy. God's love is not showy. There's been a lot of moments where I know Jason said was talking about Corinthians earlier. And I think the part that gets me the most is the, fra- the part in the verse that says, it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Because I think sometimes we get caught up that love is supposed to look a certain way. We tell ourselves what our relationship needs to look like and what our plan is going to be. And that's not how it works because God's love is powerful and it's not about something that's lovey-dovey all the time. There have been moments in our marriage where God's love was incredibly powerful and present, and most of the time it was when we least expected it. God's love was most powerful in the moment when my super awkward husband in social social situations doesn't do well, and my mom looked at him and said, will you sit here after my dad died and just be with him? And Jason said yes, and he sat with my deceased father when everyone else left the hospital. God's love was incredibly powerful when that pregnancy test was positive and the nine-month-old was crying in her crib 
and there were tears in our eyes and fears in our hearts that there's no way we could do this. God's love was incredibly powerful during our, our, our job losses or our friendship issues or our empty prayer lives. God's love was when you said, I'll make dinner while everyone else eats so that you get to eat first. Or I'll clean up the spilled milk because clearly Lucy doesn't know how to drink without a straw. <laughs> if we try to make love look a certain way, we'll let ourselves down. Same goes for our faith. If we try to make it about a feeling and then we don't have some feeling all of a sudden, God is still there. The greatest moments of love in our marriage and honestly in our faith came when we least expected it and God knew we most needed it. When the feeling within our faith or our marriage would begin to fade and it feels more day-to-day -day and mundane, the best thing we do is open ourselves up to more sources of his grace. Because if we fail to do that, it will weigh on our ability to love. Because just like a tree, guys, if you're not growing, you're dying. So we seek opportunities to grow, whether it's within our relationship or in our faith. And a lot of grace and virtue can come from attempting to put together a 1,000-piece puzzle when your kids are in bed at night. song we danced to at our wedding and if we figure out if we've figured out anything over the past 12 years it's that our greatest call is to love as Jesus loves it's that that love never ceases that love is always changing so it may look different but it never fails and tonight we talked a lot about different aspects of marriage but we haven't really touched on what is it all about um, so for a quick second we're going to do that um, and while this isn't the perfect definition of marriage, I think Pope Francis had a great way of putting it. So that might we say the greatest mission of two people in love is to help one another become respectively more a man and more a woman. More a man. I need to be a provider. I need to change the tire. I need to grill the steak. I need to attempt to fix our broken washing machine with nothing more than sheer stubbornness and YouTube videos. <laughs> but I also need a wife who balances with the tenderness that I just simply don't possess. Moral woman. Katie is a nurturer. That's been her greatest asset in her ministry to teens, in her ministry to youth ministers, and to our kids. Even if a glass or two of wine is required at the long day of nurturing. Sometimes that is needed. But if I've learned anything from the short time that I got to know Katie's dad, um, it's that his life was lived at the service of his wife and kids, and that that's the kind of man she needs now as her husband. To love, to protect, someone who's willing to do anything to make her complete. We always say that our kids have taught us each something about ourselves. Man, the self-awareness, that's such a big thing. So when we sat down to write this talk, we just wanted to share that a lot that we had discovered or changed about ourselves. So when we sat there the other day, we said, we've decided that life is too short to take it too seriously. Some nights we'll lay in bed and tell the other stories and we'll laugh our guts out. Sometimes we'll hit the pillow and fall asleep and forget the other one is there. But most of the time we laugh because it is essential. 
Secondly, faith is vital, vital in our marriage. Like I said, if we do anything right in this world, it won't be seek to be recognized or affirmed. It will make sure that our kids and the love of our life ends up in heaven. And there's nothing more than we could ever want than that. And lastly, we've stopped trying to tell God our plan because we decided that when he designs it, he does a much better job. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good, loving God, we give you praise and thanksgiving for the challenges, the obstacles, and the blessings that you've poured into our life on this day. We offer to you all relationships, all marriages, and all those people who are seeking their vocation to love you more. We thank you for this time together and ask for prayers and protection upon our loved ones, our families, and especially our hearts, that we may draw closer to your Son at all times. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you.